The gospel lesson for today comes from the 16th chapter of Luke. Listen for the word of God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, What will I do now that my master is taking uh, the position away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? He answered, A hundred jugs of oil. He said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it fifty. Then he asked another, And how much do you owe? And he replied, A hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and and make it eighty. His master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of the light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is Faithful in a little is faithful also in much, and whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, because a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I know that I have never preached a sermon entitled Shrewd, and I doubt that you have ever heard one. Shrewd is not a word we commonly associate with Christian faith or respectable, intelligent faith of any kind. A shrewd saint is an oxymoron. The word does not appear in the Old Testament, and it only appears in the New Testament in the parable that is before us today, as well as in a verse in Matthew, which is quoted in our passage today. Now, given the degree to which I have struggled with this sermon, I literally started over at 11 p.m. last night after working on it a good chunk of Friday and a good chunk of Saturday. I've not done that in years. But I will probably, I can assure you, never use this title or think about this word again. (laughs) But I chose the title because the word appears in the text. 
Because the text is a parable of Jesus. Because parables are the way, a major way Jesus reached and taught us. And because I want to see what it means to be shrewd and Christian today. Let us pray. Lord, we want to be a Christian in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. Help us to know what that means and how to get there. Amen. In the Greek in which the New Testament is written, the word translated shrewd comes from the same root as the word that is translated prudence. Now, prudence is a much softer, more respectable word on our good, solid, serious, Western, middle-class, educated, Presbyterian lips. We even had a president in recent memory on whose lips the word prudent was found often enough to warrant an impersonation on Saturday Night Live. Aristotle, with whom Luke may have been familiar, defines prudence as a kind of practical wisdom. He writes, Hence men, and they were men then, like Pericles, are deemed prudent because they possess a faculty of discerning what things are good for themselves and good for mankind. And that is our conception of an, of an expert in domestic economy or political science. What is good for our lives and what is good for the human race in economics and political science we would take that kind of prudence wherever it was offered. But the struggle that kept me up so late last night is not this Aristotelian prudence, but rather it is the primary picture of shrewdness or prudence in the parable before us. The parable is named, pay attention, after a dishonest steward. Listen to the parable in its rawest form. A wealthy man commissions a steward to be in charge of his property and investments. The steward does not do a good job. When the man realizes this, he relieves the steward of his duties, but for some unknown reason, he instructs the steward to provide a strict accounting of all of the property and investments. Why a wealthy person would ask a person that he had fired for financial mismanagement to provide him with a clean set of books is beyond me. When the steward receives this news and these instructions, he springs into action. He calls everyone who owes the man money. He invites some to pay 50 cents on the dollar and some to pay 80 cents on the dollar to settle the debt. He says to himself, I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm too ashamed to beg. Maybe when I'm no longer working, some of those whose debt I have reduced 
will welcome me into their homes. Now we do not know if the debtors take the steward up on his offer to settle. Presumably they do. Likewise, we do not know if the steward succeeds in securing himself a place to live. He may have. He may not have. But what is not left hanging in the parable is the praise that the steward receives. The text says his master commends the dishonest steward for his shrewdness. Now following this praise, which is the end of the parable, that's where the parable itself ends, Jesus then adds several verses of commentary on the parable, about seven sentences, which is a lengthy commentary. The children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the children of light are shrewd, he says. Then he holds up the steward as a model for his disciples. He's telling this parable to his disciples. And he says, I tell you, disciples... Make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth so that when it runs out, they may welcome you into their homes. He then echoes something he has said before. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. Whoever is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. And then Jesus ends this commentary with this bold statement. No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. What I think we have at the end of the parable, and of Jesus' commentary on it, which is an important part of this sermon, are two distinctly different definitions or pictures of shrewdness. Aristotle's practical wisdom in politics and economics, providing for ourselves and for the larger human community. And the stewards, the stewards' desperate yet dishonest actions seeking to survive in a world that is collapsing around him. Both kinds of shrewdness are in this parable, and Jesus seems to praise both. That is why I was up so late last night. It is sometimes easier to preach Aristotle than Jesus. But let's look at them both. First, there's Aristotelian prudence. When commenting on the parable, Jesus says the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the children of light. By this, he is urging his disciples, his first 12 followers, and by implication, us, 
to be as aware of and wise about the world around us as the steward in the parable is aware and wise of the world and his situation in it. Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, Jesus has said elsewhere. The call in this parable is for the followers of Jesus Christ to be wide-eyed, unflinching, and look at the world the way it actually is. I rarely get to attend adult ed at Westminster because for the most part I'm involved in the inquire and new member class process which occurs at the same time. But last Sunday I had the opportunity to sit or rather to stand as I could only get standing room tickets in the Haverkamp room and listen to our opening presenter for this year, General James Cartwright, former vice chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Our theme in adult education this fall is navigating the seas of change. And General Cartwright spoke about seas of change in history and in the military, mainly in history. Standing near the front, where I was able to see the faces of nearly everyone gathered, I counted over 130 people mostly members of our congregation or visitors, essentially people from our community. It was moving to me to watch and experience this event. I thought to myself that in a time in which our political discourse continues to depress and degrade thought, The general's address was one of the most thoughtful, big picture outlooks of where we are as a planet, as a human race, as a nation. It is one of the most thoughtful addresses I have heard in decades. It was, as he laughingly described, the history of the world in 20 minutes. But from where I was standing, because I can see your faces, it was one of my proudest moments at Westminster. I know you well enough to know that there were Democrats in the room and Republicans in the room. There were liberals and conservatives. There were military people and civilian people. There were lovers of peace and planners for war. There were people whom I know to be leaning toward voting for Donald Trump and there were people I know to be leaning toward voting for Hillary Clinton and there were people I know who are in moral angst about their vote. Though I know the setting of the church and I know I know that in the setting of the church I know that people are generally well-behaved and polite, it was a speech to which I saw nods of agreement and approval coming from people of widely divergent economic and political 
viewpoints on how to attain and secure both peace and justice around the world. In other words, it was a big picture view of history and reality, one of the clearest and best I can ever remember hearing, and it was taking place in a room one door removed from my study in a church that I have served for 12 years among people who are deeply interested in connecting those Aristotelian matters of domestic economy and political science with the call they have heard from Jesus Christ, follow thou me. It was a genuine attempt of this particular Christian community to understand the world in which we live and to therefore be shrewd or prudent, whichever term you like, in the way we act and vote. Second, personal shrewdness. One reason I was up late last night is a discomfort about the fascination, a discomfort about and a fascination on my part with what the steward does and how Jesus reacts. The steward is in a personal crisis. It is a crisis largely of his own making. The text says that he squandered the property of the wealthy man. It is the same word that Luke, the same gospel, uses to describe how the prodigal son squandered the inheritance his father gave him early. To solve his personal crisis, the steward adopts a shrewd but dishonest plan to cheat his master Further. The parable ends with the steward receiving praise from his master for his shrewdness, even as the steward is labeled dishonest in the shrewdness for which he is praised. You can feed that one back to me. And then Jesus adds seven sentences of commentary in which he is holding the steward up as an example for his disciples to emulate. It is a bit discomforting, and it does not sound very Aristotelian. So what do we do about it? Many years ago, this was in an early draft, but I'll tell it. Uh, I didn't write it in here, cut some things out. When I started out as a minister uh, in the early 1980s, I was in a position like Patrick's, and every year we would take our youth group to the Montreal Youth Conference in Asheville, North Carolina. Well, I was such a great youth minister, you know, that when the kids were inside going to these conferences, I was sitting outside the auditorium reading. Patrick would never do that, <laughs> thankfully. But I was right out of seminary, and what I was reading was a scholar, the late John Dominic Crossan, who wrote about this in other parables. Because early in my career, I got captivated by parables, and frankly, this was one of them, even though I've never preached on it. Crossan raised the exact question about this particular parable that we are raising. Why does Jesus hold 
the dishonest steward up. To solve this, he surveyed about a dozen parables, most of which have the servant-master theme or plot. And what Crossan found is that among these 10 or 12 parables, there are many in which the action unfolds in a way that we would expect and applaud. In these parables, good servants are rewarded, bad servants are punished, Everything is within our moral code, all's well with the world. But Crossan found other parables in this group in which bad servants are rewarded and good servants are not rewarded and sometimes even punished. Bad servants rewarded, good servants not. What kind of moral code is that? All's not well with the world. Crossan goes on to say beautifully and eloquently that when we experience the movement of God into our lives, it sometimes, sometimes, sometimes upends our sense of normalcy. And it can even reverse our sense of what is right and what is wrong. He speaks of parables as shattering the complacency of our world in the name of the kingdom of God. Crossan is saying that if we take Jesus' parables as a whole, they depict that while sometimes our experience of the movement of God into our lives fits our pre-existing moral norms, sometimes it does not fit what we expect and what we believe. In such times, we may actually experience the movement of God's presence into our lives as reversal, even as moral reversal. Now, while I believe that Crossan is correct in saying that when we experience a deeper or renewed sense of God's presence in our lives, our expectations and often our sense of what is right and wrong can be reversed, I think in his writing he becomes a bit too enamored of the moral reversal. He seems, in fact, to overlook that in this parable, nowhere does Jesus praise the steward's actions as being morally correct. Nowhere does Jesus even comment on the morality of the steward lowering the amount he collects. Jesus simply does not comment on the steward's dishonesty. Rather, what Jesus praises are the facts that the steward looks at his situation and faces it with eyes wide open. He decides on a course of action and he carries out that course of action with single-minded devotion. Jesus praises this single-minded focus, the word from the children's sermon, without commenting on the object on which the focus is aimed on the morality of the object. Now, I wrote the sentence I just said at 8 a.m. this morning. Early service starts at 8.30. What do I personally make of all this? 
From time to time, I have occasion to say to people in private conversation, usually about something in their personal or family life, but, but sometimes about something in their vocational or even political life, in which they are faced with what they consider a course of action that would be a reversal of their pre-existing moral code. What I say to them, I ask, in, in this situation, which is usually very important to them and sort of you know, covers all of life in a way, but I say to them, what is the single most important thing in your life? And then I say, when they answer, and they usually have an answer, they usually know what it is by this point. Then I say, organize all of your thoughts and your decisions and your actions toward that one thing. Even if for a while it means putting other things on the back burner, even if for a while it means excluding other things for a while, even if for a while it means changing your previously held sense of what is right and what is wrong. And if I am biblical, I then say, you cannot serve to masters. You have to choose and serve one. I believe that such single-minded focus is what Jesus meant by being shrewd. I believe it is what he meant by prudent. I believe that such single-minded focus is what being a Christian often involves. It is focus. You cannot serve two masters.